Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to do scientific research into helping humans optimize their health, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is the godfather of the gut, specifically gut health. And his research has been cited almost 30,000 times by other scientists. But before I introduce you to Dr. Mahmoud Ghanoum, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that gives you firsthand insights into the jobs and careers that most interest you from the professionals who are actually in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Dr. Mahmoud Ghanoum. He's a PhD and a lot of other letters that follow that, honestly, I don't know what they are, but he's a tenured professor and director of the Center for Medical Mycology at Case Western Reserve University and University Hospital's Cleveland Medical Center in Cleveland, Ohio. Thanks to his research breakthroughs, which we'll be digging into in this episode, Dr. Ghanoum is widely considered to be the leading microbiome researcher in the world. And his claim to worldwide fame is that he is the scientist who named the mycobiome, which is different, yet equally important to the microbiome. And he's also the founder of Biome Health, which is the first company to engineer products and tests to address the total microbiome of both bacteria and fungi, allowing consumers to maintain total digestive health. During his four decades long career, Dr. Kanum has published several books on fungus. Now you've got a big clue as to what a mycobiome is. And he has over 490 peer reviewed scientific papers. His work has been cited over 28,000 times by other scientists. And Stanford University named him as one of the top 0.1% of most cited scientists over the last decade. He is also the author of a book that I'm guessing you and I would definitely be able to read. We wouldn't be able to read the other stuff. It's too technical. That you are definitely going to want to read called Total Gut Balance, Fix Your Microbiome Fast 
for complete digestive wellness. Dr. Ghanoum, I want to welcome you to Time for Coffee and ask you, are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am ready. Here it is. Is It's a really great pleasure to be with you. It is such a pleasure to have you. Are you a coffee drinker? I really drink coffee, especially in the morning, but sometimes during the day when I am at work, I I have a tea as well. So it's a mixture, but I love coffee. Okay, because I know that you're originally from Lebanon, where I have enjoyed many a beautiful Arabic coffee over the years. So I I have to ask you, do you make Arabic coffee at home or? Yeah, it's funny you should ask. Sometimes in the evening when my wife tells me, do you want coffee? I say, oh, I'll make my own. And of course I have, I make uh, Arabic coffee. It's it's really nice. It's uh, strong yet refreshing. And you're able to sleep. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm able to sleep. Even my wife is even worse than me. Just before we go to bed, she said, oh, let me have my last cup of coffee. And she sleeps. <laughs> so. Well, I'm relieved to hear that because <laughs> my next question is, how does coffee affect our gut health? Coffee is very interesting, uh, really, ingredient, of course. And sometimes people say, oh, it's too addictive uh, uh, and People don't want it. But at the same time, now studies are starting to show that there is really benefit to the coffee and could could help you. Again, my motto is always moderation. Like if you take just enough, but not too much, I think it will be, it's like a chocolate. Chocolate is lovely, (laughs) but don't take too much. Okay, then we're going to get along great. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into your individual story, how you got into this particular area of research, I thought perhaps we could give our listeners a quick 101, Dr. Kanum, on their digestive system. Most likely, they are familiar with the large and small intestines. Sure, sure. But it's less likely that they're aware of the world. That exists inside them, and you liken that world to a garden. It really is. It really is. You know, the nice thing is the advancement in science have taught us so much in the last 10 to 15 years that we are now looking at our gut in a different way. Before, we just eat food and we think it just digested and, uh, and that's it. Now we know there is a process there. It's really very interesting process. It starts from the food getting into the mouth, going through the stomach, and then when it ends up in the small intestine, guess what? There are those little critters or what we call microorganisms that live in our gut. And what they do, they like help us. A lot of the time when we have a lot of their beneficial members, because there are good bugs and there are pathogenic bugs, bad bugs. So when you are healthy, the community of microbes that live in your gut, in your skin, all over the place are our friends. And that's why we need to support them and be there. Now, when you talk about these microorganisms that live there, Can you break them down? You said some are good, some are pathogenic. The good ones, what are they? So first, I want to define in 
general terms, what are these communities? The communities that live in our gut, in our mouth, and this sort of thing, but let's focus on the gut now, are made of bacteria, the fungus, viruses, and also, as you know, there are some parasites in certain situations, and another group of organisms which called archaea, which we don't know as much about that. But let's focus on the bacteria and fungus. These are two communities that live inside our gut, okay? Now, some of the members of the bacteria, let's say, are beneficial. And an example of that is bifidobacterium and lactobacillus. I am sure a lot of people heard about this probiotic type of strain. Now, when we look at the fungus, also we have similar things, believe it or not. We have the Saccharomyces cerevisiae. It's the same yeast that we use to bake breads and sometimes make wine, which is beneficial. We need that. Our study shows that having the Saccharomyces in our gut is really beneficial. But at the same time, we have the other guys which we want to keep under control, which is candida. Candida is a pathogen. It's very important to me to put it into perspective because when people hear of candida, they are, oh my God, I have candida. I have so many issues because of that. However, if candida is present at low level, what we call abundance, the abundance of it in our gut is low, guess what? It helps us. It helps break down food and breaking down that food will give food to the bacteria, their counterpart, so that they can grow. So in addition to the bacteria, we have also the fungus. Similarly, there are good guys such as Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is a yeast which everybody knows, I hope, because we use it to make bread and also beer for all these young over 21, I must say, that drink beer, okay? So in addition to this good yeast, we have what we call candida. And everybody, when they hear of candida, they are frightened. They think it is a bad bug. However, I want to change the perception. If you have candida at low abundance or low level, not too many of it, then it will be beneficial as well. Where we become, candida becomes a problem, is if it start to overgrow. Like for example, when somebody take a broad spectrum antibiotic, you kill the good bacteria that keeps candida under control. And now candida, we call it opportunistic organism. It takes the opportunity to start to overgrow and cause a problem. So you can see there are good guys and bad guys in both bacteria and fungi that live in our body. When you say fungi or fungus, I'm thinking about mushrooms. Yes. Yes, what, absolutely. Is that what these are? These are like little spores? They are. They start like a little spores, okay? But then they start to change their morphology or their shape. But mushroom is also, like if you look at the fungal kingdom, it has yeast, it has molds like aspergillus, like penicillium. It has dermatophytes, which cause infection in the skin, but also it has mushrooms, which we eat. So there is a whole world of fungus around us. So I just want to clarify for our listeners, because Dr. Ganum was talking about the fungus and the microbes. 
when we say fungus, that's the microbiome. And when we say microorganisms, that's the microbiome. So they coexist in our gut. And this is really, I think, where things get super interesting because research has proven now that there is a connection between our gut and our brain. It's not just the whole body, but the gut and the brain. So can you unpack that a little bit, Dr. Kunum, and how that may be showing up in our young listeners in their lives? Sure, sure. So this is a very important concept, like as you said, was discovered in the last 10 years, I would say, which says before we used to think our brain tells our body everything what to do. Now we realize that our brain can tell our body, but the little microbes that live in our gut can tell our brain. So it is a two-directional communication. Our brain tells our gut, and when the microbes that live in our gut tells our brain. So there is bi-directional communication. And this communication is very important because especially like with young people these days are stressed out with COVID, with all, with their studies, with all what's going on in life. Guess what? They are stressed out. And when you are stressed out, there is communication between the brain and your gut. That's why when you are stressed out, you feel like, oh, my tummy doesn't feel well and this sort of thing. So that's how they work together. However, when our gut is good, is imbalance, and what I mean by imbalance is we have more beneficial microbes than the pathogenic ones, then they send messages to our brain, which makes you happy. With serotonin, that it's secreted, and guess what? 90% of serotonin, which makes us happy, is secreted in the, in the gut. So that's where we need to start thinking it's a two-way system. And this two-way system could play in our favor or against us. Yes. And it's the against us that I think is showing up so much among college and university students where their anxiety, as you already alluded to, is off the charts and their depression and even suicidal feelings are extraordinary. How much of that do you think is because of what's known as dysbiosis? And that is the fact that those microbes, the microorganism and the fungus are not balanced in your gut. I think really this is very, very important point because we have science have established that there is a connection between the imbalance on what you rightly call dysbiosis in the microbiome and stress. In fact, studies have shown that for over 40 years, that stress can change the gut microbiome. And what I mean by change, it favors the pathogenic bacteria, okay, the, the bad guys. Also, stress or stressor, you know, like as you say, what's, got, what's going on now socially and with the COVID can also change the number of pathogens, which means it goes up. All these pathogens increase in our gut, okay? Now, why is this important? It's because they also could affect our inflammatory process. Like they encourage the secretion of what we call pro-inflammatory cytokines. 
One example of them, it's called interleukin-6, okay? Also, what's interesting is that it shows that the stress can also affect our intestinal barrier, the lining that cover our gut. And by affecting that, remember, if we affect it, we may start to have some leaky issues where bad toxins, bad germs can go through, okay? And what causes a leaky gut syndrome. Now, what does it do exactly, stress? Stress really reduces the diversity of the organism. Let me explain this. A diversity, the more diverse the number of organisms there, the better for us. So if we reduce that diversity, then we have more of the bad ones taking control. Finally, in response to stress, our uh, hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, what it does, it produces cortisol, which as you know, cortisol is nature's way of alarming. It's what we call fight or flight response. So that's why all of these, when you put them together, not only affect our gut, but also affect our neuro neurological issues, including stress and depression. Mm. So you said a lot there. And one thing we haven't talked about, you mentioned stress, but there's also other factors that influence the health of our garden, our internal garden, and that is sleep. Yes. The food or junk that we put in our bodies, the alcohol that we may drink. Could you talk about that? How is the American diet of Doritos and Oreos and what do they call those drinks? Energy drinks. <laughs> yes. I'm using air quotes. And the fact that you have so many young people and adults who are living on next to no sleep. What is that doing? Oh, this is definitely affecting our microbiome balance, causing dysbiosis. But really what's more important as a consequence of dysbiosis, as you said, we start to have different health issues, not only in our gut, but all over the place, beyond our gut. So now let's unpack it up, as you say. One of the important, like how can we avoid this dysbiosis and help ourselves? There are different things. Number one, one factor is diet. Diet plays a very important role. So I will talk about this, and then I will talk about lifestyle as well. But let's start with diet. The relationship between stress, for example, and diet is well established. Okay. So what happens with depression, for example, have been shown to be associated with intake of sugars or refined carbs. The same, at the same extent we can tell you is that having sugar, guess what? It increased the abundance or the level of candida, which allowed to overgrow and cause issues. So conversely, if you eat well, really it has been associated with decreased risk of depression and stress. And a good example is the Mediterranean diet. I come from Lebanon and it is the great diet, the Mediterranean diet. However, there are certain aspects which we need to watch, which you mentioned like alcohol, for example, too much pasta. But in general, the Mediterranean diet have been shown to help people. And what it does, if you eat, however, the what we call Western diet, 
too much hamburgers, processed food, all junk food we eat, we are encouraging the secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines. So there is very good relation between what you eat and inflammation. And that's why it's very important for us to really select the right type of food. And how is that showing up? Can you give us some symptoms that people could present with beyond depression and anxiety, some other physical manifestations that your body is sending signals to you, your garden is trying to signal to your brain what is going on. I mean, if you think about it, it's the gut when we are not feeling well, we have bloating, you have gas, you have constipation, sometimes pain, you're not necessarily acute pain, but sometimes you don't feel very well. All these are symptoms to tell you there is something not going on well here. Let's try to address it. What about a lack of energy? Oh, no doubt about it. Lack of energy is also one of them. Cravings for stuff, like that's why a lot of people crave for sweets. So this is also very, very important. Some, uh, Of course, sometimes you have lack of sleep. You are not de- uh, sleeping very well. And remember, we said there is connection between the microbiome and, of course, affected by diet, which by, by becoming in dysbiosis or out of balance, it's going to affect you as well. So it is a complex network of symptoms which can tell you there is something not good. That's why I always say, you know what? You need to listen to your body, okay? And try to address these things. Yeah, our body is trying to send us signals saying, hey, (laughs) there's something (laughs) going on here. You need to address it. And I, I want to share a very personal story with you, Dr. Ganum, because when I was in my 30s and I was a correspondent with CNN and I was traveling all over the world with the Secretary of State because I covered American foreign policy and wow. I was diagnosed with depression. Yes. I was eating irregular meals and they, I'm being generous calling them meals, usually out of uh, a vending machine. I was not sleeping very much, only a few hours a night. And I was under immense stress, immense stress. So later in my thirties, it may have been when I was in my early forties, my doctor told me, Because I said, you know, the tips of my fingers would go white, so cold. And I, same thing with my toes. And he said, okay, you have Raynaud's if it's a disease or syndrome. And then I was diagnosed with hypothyroid. Yes. Okay. Same doctor. I'm going to see the same doctor. And there was nothing he told me that could be done about Raynaud's with depression. It was, taken an antidepressant. And with the hypothyroid, it was take a medication. So why, when there's so much science to back this up? Now, this was before a lot of the research that's come out. But why doesn't the vast majority of the conventional medical community, the internists, pediatricians, connect the dots based on the research? Because the average doctor, and I was just with my 
then 17-year-old, he just turned 18-year-old son, they don't ask him what he's eating. We were at the doctor. They don't connect the dots between his mental health, his physical health. They're just taking his weight, checking his height, and that's it. Yes. yes. I tell you something. First of all, there is a couple of things very important. I remember when I traveled before COVID, similar to you, when we are traveling, really there isn't good food to be eaten in the airports or whatever. And I don't know why, maybe psychologically, when we are traveling, you eat anything thinking, oh, I may not get food or something. So <laughs> that's, that's exactly. And of course, when you travel like you, the circadian rhythm is completely out of whack. So, so that explains it very well. Okay. Now, that's why, like now, I travel, people say, I'm not traveling, even though I miss it a lot. Because, you know, you miss your friends when you go to these meetings. You have friends there over the years, you build them. So I miss that. But at the same time, I say, okay, I'm happy, okay, not to, not to travel, you know, for, at least for now. Now, let's go back into the question, which is why the clinicians or the medical community, internists and whatever, don't start to think of this. I tell you, this is a tough, a tough issue. What I'm trying to do is we need to educate these people. And now I'm, I develop now educational programs where I give overview of the microbiome and how it affects our health. Also, like gut-brain access. I have a, a lecture just talk about gut-brain access and how it affects the subjects which we are talking about. To me, the other thing I'm trying to do is write an article called Demystifying the Microbiome. Because we need to educate the clinicians to be familiar. Listen, there are other things which could help us apart from taking a pill. And I understand. I, I'm a part of the Department of Dermatology. So I, I, I have great colleagues and friends there. But you know what? They are so busy. Sometimes their educational program don't, don't give them these new advances. They are running around. But to me, we have enough evidence now that if we balance the microbiome, we definitely can help the health. If we cut eating this junk food, try to guide our patients to do so, will help them. So I really hope we have more educational programs to try to reach out to these physicians because I think nowadays, if we do this, we will be able to prevent, not necessarily just treat, we can do it before. We prevent diseases. Yes. That's my my call. And I'll tell you, the pills only do so much. Exactly. They do not solve the problem. And if you don't address what's happening in your garden or your forest, however you choose to describe (laughs) this, because I've listened to other interviews you've done, uh, Dr. Ganum, and some call it a forest, it just gets worse the older you get. And it throws off everything from your hormones. Then your weight starts to balloon and doctors will say, oh, you know, this is normal for a middle-aged woman or a middle-aged man to gain weight. No, I'm sorry. So for our young listeners, Dr. Ganum, how can they start healing themselves? You've written this book, Total Gut Balance. Fix your microbiome fast for complete digestive wellness. So fixing your fungi and also the microbiome. 
What can they do right now? Okay, I think there are three different things they can do. Number one, the diet. Please start following a diet that is healthy. And what I mean by that, as you say, it described in the my book, Total Gut Balance. I really enjoyed writing that because I talk, I work with a nutritionist who is not scientific like me, the way she writes, which you needed to reach people. Because scientists sometimes we are just crazy people. We just wonky. wonky. <laughs> <laughs> so she did a good job to try to describe like you have to have a whole food, you have antioxidant food like cruciferous vegetables, you need to have fibers because you need to feed your microbes, the good microbes. So diet is the first step I will start to do. It's very important to remember that you don't have to change overnight. Take your time. It may take you two, three weeks, one month till you get used to change because, you know, we are all used to eat food like this and it's very difficult to change. So diet, number one. Number two is exercise, lifestyle, your lifestyle, exercise. Exercise, I don't mean you go and kill yourself. Listen, half an hour, three times a week, this is what people know. And you don't have to even do elliptical or whatever. Go out and walk. This really is very, very beneficial because there is a clear connection between exercise and the improving your microbiome. Okay. Now, the, the last thing, stress. Stress is really very important factor, which we want to bring, uh, bring down. These days, everybody is stressed out with the COVID, with women and men working. They are trying to do their job. They are trying to take care of the kids, the school now, all disruption and whatever. So it's really everybody is stressed. So I always advise, please take even 15 minutes a day I usually do it in the afternoon because I, I'm an early riser. So in the afternoon, I'm now, oh my God, I'm going down. I just close my eyes a little bit, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. And honestly, it will help you a lot. Also, part of the meditation, you can walk outside because we have a lovely country. Go enjoy it, my friend. <laughs> so, I also do meditation oh, to help with stress. And I will tell you, I feel it in my brain. I feel the improvement because when something unexpected happens, you know, that would get your heart rate up, that would start the flood of the cortisol that you referred to earlier, it's delayed. It doesn't happen. I'm able to be in the moment and think rationally rather than emotionally. I really love that. I love to hear that because I am a completely bought into this. The other thing I tell you, I don't know if you do yoga or not, because I know women are better than men in doing that. Yoga is fantastic if you can do it. Maybe even once a week. You don't have to do it every day. And I I start to doing it. You know, I come from Lebanon, as you know, and uh, (laughs) I never did yoga when I was in Lebanon. You know, it's a strange idea. And now I do it once a week on Sunday and I really love it because you are thinking about how I stretch doing this and it just takes your mind off. Well, and as somebody who is learning, I'm pointing to myself, learning rather late about Ayurvedic medicine and all that it encompasses, which it encompasses meditation and yoga. It also, yoga is moving your organs in different ways 
that is massaging them with different poses and probably helping stimulate your garden. We talked about fertilizing the garden, but this is another way of helping press on different parts of your body to make them healthier. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. Because I really think this is very important. It helps you, as you say, like nowadays, I wake up and I do biking. And uh, Are you a Peloton biker? I Yes, I am a Peloton biker. <laughs> oh, we have to follow each other. Yes, I yes. love Peloton. And yes, I, really I do. Love it. Every day, honestly, Dr. Is Gunner, it really I, great? It's, who are your favorite instructors? Oh, I, uh, Alex uh, Toussaint. AT. I, I like uh, Tonde. Tonde. Oh my God, she's crazy. She's oh, so she's... powerful. Oh wow. my God. It, and also, I like Samuel. He is. Yes. You know, I try to change to change. Yes. Them. Yes. Me too. And, yeah. And I really. You have I to try this. Robin and, uh, and Zon. Oh, my daughter told me about that. Robin. Oh, Amazon. she's awesome. Yeah, yes. I, I'm. And uh, Cody, Cody Rigsby. I, I oh, like yeah, him. he's fun. He is funny. He Did you watch funny. his XOXO? <laughs> <laughs> I, I laugh at that, you know. <laughs> I it's, did too. Yeah, it was yeah. so funny. Yeah. And then at the, at the end, now I started because of my daughter, Emma. She told me that you should do a little bit of stretching after. So, oh my goodness, that's such fun. That's Yes. Such fun. And I've actually done some of their yoga. I actually oh. have tried. Excellent. Yeah, it's really excellent. Oh. So, Dr. Ganum, I'd like to pivot now away from the focus of your research towards how your career unfolded. Okay. When you were in university in Lebanon at the American University of Beirut, what was your major? And did you know what you were going to do with that major when you graduated? That's so funny. First of all, my major was biology chemistry. I had a BS in biology chemistry. And really, I did not know what I want to do. I was thinking of going into medicine and this sort of thing. But then a friend of mine, his name also Mahmoud, he said, you know, I just got acceptance to England to do medicinal chemistry in Loughborough, Loughborough University of Technology. So I said, oh, I'll go and do that. So, so I went, I did the master, and then I stayed, I did my PhD there. So it's so funny, like I never had, some people, they, since they are young, they want to be a lawyer or they want to be a doctor. It's just like, it happened as I move on. I said, oh, I like this, I like this. And that's how I did the, in England, in England, my PhD. And then I went, I, you will laugh at this. My first job was in Malta, the Mediterranean island, Malta. Actually, I want to I wanna stay in England just for a moment because I want to talk more about the serendipity in your life. So just because your friend says, I'm going to do biological chemistry yeah. in England, and you're like, oh, that sounds good. Okay, I'll go. When you were at the University of Loughborough, you were paired with a research scientist who was trying to uncover why test rabbits treated with antibiotics were developing a fatal fungal infection. That's exactly right. What happened, they came and they gave me this paper. They said, look at this. When they have antibiotics, these rabbits, they develop candida infection, candidiasis, remember, which is systemic infection. It's not just the one with thrush or, or in the oral, oral cavity, for example. So 
I looked into that, and lo and behold, the literature even at that time showed that women who take tetracyclines, they develop uh, antibiotic, they develop thrush. So I said, oh, this is really very interesting area because if you kill the bacteria, you are encouraging the fungus to grow. And that's what I did my PhD on. I did my PhD to look at the effect of antibiotics and steroids because people take these all these steroids. And guess what? People who take steroids, they tend to have also fungal infection. So that's what I did my PhD. And then later on in life to come back into the microbiome, I used to go to these meetings and everybody talking about the microbiome, they're talking about bacteria. I said, no, 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 you have to think of fungus also. Because I know <laughs> when I was a young man <laughs> that you kill bacteria, fungus cause the issue. So I, I wrote a couple of opinion pieces so that we should really look in the same sample about bacteria and fungus. And that's where I coined the term mycobiome. And myco, you remember, mycology is the study of fungus. So I said, instead of bacteriome studying bacteria, I call it mycobiome. And that's how I developed my most recent passion. And, you know, you mentioned Malta, which was the first place that you worked after you got your PhD, the first country. But even the story of how you came to the United States is a story of serendipity. Yes, yes. As you mentioned, I, my first job was in Malta. I stayed two, three years, actually. And then I started to look for other jobs. And there was Kuwait University. I was living in England at that time. Kuwait University wanted lecturers in microbiology. So I went, I applied, and I got the job. So I stayed in Kuwait 11 years till Saddam Hussein invaded the country. And I was in England at that time because, you know, Kuwait in summer, as you know, you travel very well, is very hot. So I used to go to spend summer in England with my family, my wife and kids. And overnight, the country where I had my job, my home, gone. You know, Saddam Hussein just took it. So that's really, oh my God, it was an awakening moment here. I started, okay, what do I do? I start looking for jobs, but I was very lucky. It's, I, as you say, serendipity is unbelievable. Before I left Kuwait to go to England for the summer, I published two papers on garlic, the effect of garlic on candy. And that story comes, it's interesting because one Kuwaiti uh, faculty member in our department, every day comes to me, Mahmoud, you have to study garlic because when people take garlic, they don't develop candida. I say, leave me alone. I don't want to study garlic. Okay. And then he kept at me till I studied garlic and published. So they invited me to give a talk at the Willard's Hotel in DC about garlic in the first World Congress on the biology of garlic. So I had my visa, I had everything ready. So when I came here, I wanted to get a job, obviously, because I lost my job overnight. I contacted Dr. Jack Bennett from the National Institute of Health. I told him, my name so-and-so, I need a job. He said, who are you? <laughs> I said, listen, listen, I'm Mahmoud Ghanoum, I just lost my job. I need the help. I'm a, I'm a mycologist. And he said, okay, come over. I went, to cut long story short, he said, you know, if you can come, Next week, we have a big meeting. All the people who study fungus in the U.S. are coming to D.C. What are I the chances? Honest to God. Honest to God. So I said, oh, I can't do it because I don't, I can, I don't have money to stay. 
I'll give you my CV. In my way to the hotel, to the Willard, I saw travel agent at that La Meridian Hotel across from uh, the Willard. And I said to him, I went to him, I said, I need your help. He said, what do you want? I said, listen, I am in trouble. I need, you understand how people are in trouble. You need to help me. He said, what do you want? I said, you need to change my ticket. He changed my ticket. He gave me $80. And I was able to go to stay with my friend in Milwaukee till I came to the meeting where Dr. Bennett invited me. And he was such a kind man. He had everybody, you know how it is at this high level. He had people to his house for reception. And he said, come, come, Mahmoud, to the, my house. I went to his house and guess what? I got two jobs that night. One from <laughs> Wayne State and one from UCLA. And of course, I took UCLA. And that's how it is. Dr. Kanum, our listeners can benefit from seeing you the way I can. And you have almost a permanent smile on your face. And you exude so much positive energy. What role do you think a person's mindset and approach to the good things and the not so good things that happen to them in their life have in building a happy life? I agree. I, I really, I am, I'm, I'm an optimistic person. And you are right. Like we all face difficulties in life. Life is not easy. But we need to have an attitude, okay, things come up, let's see how we can deal with it, okay? And I am always positive. And I always tell my people, people who come, I have students, they come here from different parts of the world, they want to go into medicine, they, they graduated from Egypt, for example, or other countries for that matter, and they want to stay, you know, so always be optimistic, because we can deal with it. And you as a person, if you are passing through these difficulties, believe me, everything could be conquered. But just relax and be a nice person. Be a nice person. Get along with people. Because even if you are the smartest of people, but you are not nice, people don't want to work with you. So you need to be a nice person. And also remember, we are all human beings. Okay? It doesn't matter. What your background, what your religion, what your race. Look, we are all, as we said at the beginning, we are trying to make a living. We are trying to live our life. Let's help each other. And if we don't agree, decide, or if we disagree on something, it doesn't matter. But we still can help each other. So that's how I look at life. How have you taken that mindset, Dr. Kanum, into your work as a research scientist? I try to ask all time for coffee guests about a time in their life when they struggle. You just mentioned this incredible story about 1990 when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait and there your whole job, your life there went up in smoke. But I know that the life of a researcher, of a scientist is mostly about failure. Sure, sure. How have you taken this positive mindset and used it to push through particularly challenging times that you've had in the lab? Yes. And what lesson did you take from that? This is very important because people think, oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I want to be a professor, I want an academia and this sort of thing. To be a professor or to be a lecturer, whatever, a junior faculty, you really need to have some funding because universities usually 
want people with funds because that's how they work with indirect costs and this sort of thing. And when I first came to the U.S., it was 90s, early 90s. The funding from the National Institute of Health was hard. Even now is hard. But at that time, let's take it, let's talk about that. Period. It was hard. So for me as a basic scientist, a PhD, I need to get funding to stay in business. So I start writing grants. And the first time I submitted the grant, it didn't get funded, which is really normal. Okay. You need to know sometimes, not every time you put a grant, you are going to get funded. So what you do, you take the grant, you say, okay, what the reviewer said, you try to address it, make it better and apply again. So I sent it in and then I met one guy from the National Institute of Health who is the program officer. I said to him, I want to get funding this. What do I do? He said to me, it's so funny, you know, how people vision. He said, you know, Dr. Ganon, many people spend all their academic life and they don't get a grant. I, I look, <laughs> I started to laugh. I said, I have news for you, my friend. I'm going to get the grant. Okay. So the secret of it is you need to keep going, going. Don't be, it's not but blindly. You say, okay, this is what they want. Let me fix it. Let's go on. The other thing which I did because of this incident, NIH grant is difficult all the time. It's the top grant. I'm, I'm lucky I'm funded the NIH. But what I did I said, I want to do something else that also diversify what I do. So I start developing all these methods to evaluate drugs for companies, service for service. So I start the first time I worked, believe it or not, with Pfizer. And they had a new antifungal at that time for HIV. Remember HIV patients with AIDS, they used to have oral candidiasis. So they gave me a grant and I tested their drug against candida because I am a candida guy. I, I, I always uh, say I'm a fun guy, okay? So I took it, I studied it, and then I developed all these methods required for approval of a drug by the FDA. So now I have two sources. I diversified like you do with money, okay? Where you invest in different uh, options. So I have NIH, basic science, and diversification. And that now, what's nice about it, when I came to Cleveland, I do the same. And now if NIH is down, industry is up, so you have a balance. So to me, listen, it is tough, but it is doable. As long as you work hard and you publish, you have to publish. In our business, publish or perish. And don't be down. As long as you try to see, okay, what do they want? What can I do to make this better? And Guess what? Persistence will come through. You'll be okay. I love it. I love it. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten, Dr. Ganu? I think the best career advice is I got it from people is about, look, focus. You need to focus and work hard and be a nice person. You are going to be fine. I have one final question for you. If you could go back to college and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? This is really a tough, tough question. I think I really, I, like I'm, I'm fortunate because what I did worked. So I think my advice to people is you really need to look at your situation. And based on that situation, try to see, okay, what is the low-hanging fruit? What I can do to move forward and keep going? And then 
be able to be innovative. Don't stay stuck to something. And one thing I always like about, I think I would always do if I do, I'm always looking for what is the new hot thing. And like, I am lucky because it looks like I can see it before. Like uh, the same, like with biofilms. When I start looking about biofilm with catheter infections, you know, you go to hospital, people put catheters in people and they de- develop infection. And then I start to go into it. And lo and behold, I was leader in that because I focused on the fungus and biofilms. Not many people are doing. So always try to see and be innovative. Don't stay on, like you find some people, they start something and they always want to do the same. No, no. Expand your brain. Keep learning and try to change and look forward to, okay, you know, this could be possible and I think you will be fine. Dr. Kanum is the founder of Biome Health. He's also the author of Total Gut Balance, Fix Your Microbiome Fast for Complete Digestive Wellness. Dr. Ganum, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. The work you are doing and have done is so unbelievably important. And I know it's already helped thousands and thousands and thousands. And I have no doubt you're going to continue to help many, many more. Thank you, Andrea. I can tell you. Honestly, I love this conversation and I really wish you the best. I'm really, really glad to be in your podcast and have a great, great day. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org, or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.